Hello. You are listening to the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. We are here to walk with parents on their unwanted journey of child loss, guiding them to a place of hope, light, and purpose, not in spite of their child's death, but as a way to honor his or her life. And now, here is your host, author, speaker, and bereaved parent, Laura Deal. Hi. Today is a topic I don't hear talked about much in the world of bereaved parents, but it affects so many of you. Who would have ever thought we would be faced with the decision of donating our child's organs? There are so many mixed emotions about this, whether you did or whether you didn't. The world of organ donation is like a family within a family. We're all family in the world of being a bereaved parent, a bereaver. But if you donated any of your child's organs, it's like you're in a smaller family within the bigger family. I have two guests joining me today because our daughter, Becca, was on the other end as someone who needed a heart transplant, but she didn't make it to be able to get one. And she had so much medication in her for her heart issues for so long that nothing was usable. So I don't have experience with going through that process. My guests today are Melanie DeLorme and Rita Jackson. Melanie was a content English teacher, wife, mother, sister, and friend. Then without warning, she gained the title of bereaved parent when her eight-year-old son Garrett was accidentally killed in a hunting accident in 2008. Her road to healing brought her to write her first book, After the Flowers Die, a handbook of heartache, hope, and healing after losing a child. Melanie is involved with her local chapter of the Compassionate Friends and is passionate about offering hope to other bereaved parents. She is currently living on a ranch in Saskatchewan, Canada with her husband, Jerry, and their two children, Morgan and Justin. Rita's life, as she knew it, was forever changed on April 25, 2013, when her daughter Jasmine passed away. It was only due to her daughter's compassionate decision to register to be a donor that she has survived the depths of despair and began to build a life for herself. With the donation of bone and connective tissue, veins, skin, and heart valves, her daughter has touched the lives of more than 30 people and their families. A year after her loss, she became an ambassador for One Legacy, where she has had many opportunities to speak on the importance of organ, eye, and tissue donation and the need for more people to register. Now, I want to make sure that you know this episode is not to heap guilt on anyone who said no when asked about donating your child's organs. You made the right decision for you at that time. And we can all look back and wish we had made some different decisions surrounding our child's death. And we can all look back and be glad about some of the other decisions that we made. This episode is to give a voice to and to hear from those who are part of that second smaller family within the larger family of uh, bereaved parents. And I was asked when I first started this Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast to do one on this topic of organ donation. So here it is. Well, hi, Melanie. Hi, Rita. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. 
Thank you, Laura. Yeah, it's good to have you here. Now, I just want to remind our listeners that we live in our motorhome in a campground. So you get to hear whatever I hear. And for my two guests, that's good for you because if a noise happens on your end, they'll just think it's from me. (laughs) So Rita, we've never met. This is actually the first time we've even chatted together, but we know each other through mutual friends with Umbrella Ministries and you are out in California. That's correct. I am in California, Laura. Mm -hmm. And then Melanie is up in Canada. And uh, she and I, we knew each other a little bit online because of a a group that we're both in. But we got to meet face to face at a conference. And our books were competing with each other in the same category. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And Melanie's book won. And I was so excited because I mean, you put your book in something and you kind of hope that maybe it'll win. But, you know, there's so many good books out there. And it was like, if I can't win, Melanie's got to win. And so she when her name was called, it was just very exciting. And so I'll give you a chance to talk about your book later. And then Melanie, you and I have done just some things here and there. It's good to see you again. So let's go ahead and get started. I want to give you each a chance to tell your story. And Melanie, let's go ahead and start with you. Can you tell us Garrett's story, please? Our eight-year-old son, Garrett, was accidentally shot in a hunting accident in 2008. Garrett was shot in the back of the head. So he, um, which we didn't know at the time, was immediately brain dead and was rushed to emergency. And so it was in the emergency room that we learned that the damage to his brain was not repairable Mm. and that he would not survive. And I know Jerry and I had both been on the list for organ donors um, for years because we felt that that was something that we both wanted, but we had never ever considered our kids would die before us either. And so it wasn't long after we learned in the emergency room that Garrett wouldn't live and Right away, we said, yes, of course we will, because if we could save any other parent from having to live with the death of their child, we would like to give that gift. And so the night became a whirlwind of forms and questions and surgeries, um, and we were able to donate Garrett's kidneys, but they weren't able to keep him alive long enough to donate anything else. And so we pray for that recipient every day and hope that that surgery was successful and um, are glad that we were able to give that gift to someone. Mm, Yeah. Rita, can you tell us Jasmine's story? Yes. um, Jasmine was actually, um, it was three weeks before her 21st birthday when she passed. Um, It was very sudden though. Um, She basically walked into the house, sat down, had started talking to me and had problems breathing and collapsed in my arms. As she said, help me mom. And um, we rushed her to the hospital and it turned out that she had a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot that went to the lungs. So -hmm. she stopped breathing. Um, Unfortunately, because she did stop breathing, um, she was not able to donate organs. Um, She donated tissue. And um, so that process is um, different than what uh, Melanie was sadly put through. 
because I know that process is very lengthy with organ donation. Um, ours was, was a phone call um, that uh, we, see, we received the phone call the next morning. So within maybe 10, about 10, 12 hours after she had passed, we received a call from, from the One Legacy, the organ procurement organization and had to go through that lengthy, as Melanie mentioned, a lengthy um, questionnaire for Jasmine's background, health background. Um, and she was able to basically donate tissue and there was no warning signs. There was nothing to, you know, to let us know that there was an issue regarding blood clots. I think her asthma masked the fact that she was having problems breathing because she was asthmatic. Hmm. But um, needless to say, she was talking to me and within 15 minutes, she just collapsed in my arms and stopped breathing. Hmm. But Jasmine was um, 20 years old just before her 21st birthday. And it's been eight years. It'll be eight years in April. I know for me with our daughter, Becca, she was not able to have anything donated. It wasn't even an option in any direction because of her heart issues. And she was on so many medications for so long that there would have been nothing that wasn't full of medication that they wouldn't want to put in someone else. Now she needed a heart transplant. She was on the other end of that. And knowing that someone would have to die for my daughter to have life, that's a that's a very strange place to be. I want to ask both of you that term to harvest your child's organs. Melanie, was that term used when they approached you? What was that like for you? Well, that was definitely a term that I had never heard before. Harvest to me meant combining wheat. Or <laughs> right, right. It did not mean taking organs out of my child. No, that to me, that term was actually quite, was one of the things that stuck out to me most as one of the most traumatizing things of the night. Mm. It just doesn't seem like the right word. That term is actually, I, I guess I can speak from my background, my experience um, is, is taboo within the health industry. It definitely, um, you know, obviously creates a very emotional spiral downward when you're talking to anyone who's considering donation or has donated um, and so it's actually supposed to, supposed to be utilized as organ recovery hmm. rather than harvest, um, because it does, it does bring such an impersonal point to the whole very personal experience. Um, so again, within the health community, hospitals, doctors, so, and so on, um, they completely are away from using that word harvest. Um, we're trying to change it so that even as far as the coroner's office doesn't utilize it, mortuaries and so on. Um, mm -hmm. So it's supposed to be recovery because that's what they're doing is recovering organs. Yeah. And of course, I'm that does that. make it feel so impersonal. What was that, Melanie? I'm glad to learn that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's to me, it reminds me of the term committing suicide. It's like, oh, uh, no, they died by suicide. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, That's the so true. I mm -hmm. think I agree with you there, Laura. I think it's exactly, you know, compared to that. Yes. I do hear from parents who are really angry and they're put off when someone comes in. I think of someone, especially back home in our home group in Wisconsin. Her son was young. I believe he was eight or 10. And when she was approached about donating the organs, it was almost like this person was very, she felt like they were making so many demands on her and asking her so many questions 
when her mind just couldn't comprehend that my child just died, much less thinking about giving away parts of them. Is that maybe, Rita, you can talk about that just a little bit, how parents feel when they're approached? Definitely in every state, there is an organ procurement organization. And here in California, One Legacy handles that process. And um, they have a team of specialists that are trained in how to approach the families. Um, They obviously have a lot of counseling background. They do know the ins and outs of the whole um, donation process, um, whether it's transplantation or tissue. Um, But mostly what's really nice is with One Legacy, which is our California organ procurement organization, One Legacy's um, team, the the, the donor family support team is so compassionate. Their main priority is to to be able to support the families. It sounds like a lot of that has to do with the training and that maybe there needs to be, that's something that you're working at is getting better training for those who find, who are in that position of being that go-between for the organ donors and their families. Uh, Melanie, did you, was that something that just made you angry? Were you just too confused to think about it? And how did you feel when you were approached with that? You know, when I think back to that night, I can't remember. Mm, yeah. I, um, we were, we were in all kinds of shock and mm-hmm. it just seemed like the right thing to do. And, and when I, now I'm so far 12 years removed from that night, I can look back and recognize that, that, um, the immediacy at, at how they have to perform these surgeries and, and the, you know, how timely mm-hmm. that surgery has to be, I realize why they have to act so quickly. There is an uh, urgency to it. There is definitely an urgency to it. So I realize now why it just seemed so, so abrupt. Yeah. abrupt. It, it really has to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and if they're passionately though, also, um, afterwards they, we were contacted by, there was the kidney foundation and we were invited to attend a banquet for donors and recipients, mm. um, that was so very moving mm. that we listened to people speak who, who received organs and how appreciative, appreciative they were of their life and still yet recognizing, you know, how yeah. that someone had to die for them to live. That's going to be huge. It was huge. It was, it was, I was really happy that we attended that banquet. Mm, I felt hard. I'm sure it was really hard. hard, I felt so good about knowing that I could make, that I made, we made a difference or that Garrett made a difference to someone else. I can definitely say that the um, recipients are extremely grateful, but there is actually like you, you did touch on it, Laura. There is a, there is a sense of guilt Mm-hmm. Um, for these recipients, because they do realize that someone passed, mm-hmm. and that there's a whole family that has lost a loved one, in order for them to be living. Yeah. So they do have that guilt, per se. But they all tell me the every single recipient I've met, and I've met hundreds, um, that they feel the responsibility of being, you know, the best person they can mm. be living their life to the fullest because they're not doing that just for themselves anymore, that they have that responsibility and feel honored that they're carrying life on Mm. for that person. 
Wow, that's that's good to hear. So have either one of you been in contact with people who received Rita for you? It was Jasmine's tissue. Is that something where there was a connection made there? Yes, Jasmine's um, recipients have reached out. Um, I, I will say two of them so far. I haven't checked recently with the organization. Um, once you become a donor family member, um, the organization that helped um, with the um, donation should be reaching out to you as a donor family member continually. So they reach out to the donor family members. And um, one of the things that they're, they do remind us of is that we do have the ability if we'd like to um, put a letter on file for a recipient or even just authorize that a recipient could, you know, could have some contact. Mm-hmm. So it will go through the organization, but it does, um, it, that is something that they remind you that you can do that. Um, so I did get two letters from recipients of Jasmine's tissue. Um, the one that really sticks out because Jasmine was only 20 years old is a high school girl, um, which happened to arrive. And I thank the Lord for this one. This letter arrived on Jasmine's what I call her angel bursary Mm. and that was April 25th of 2015 um, two years after she passed I was struggling really bad to the extent that I was contemplating why am I still here Mm. and I get this letter on April 25th and I'm reading it And I literally fell to my knees because this little girl, she was at the time had just graduated high school. She says she waited till then to write because she wanted to be able to tell me her progress. She had torn her ACL because she was a track star. Um, So she said that it took a while with um, rehab and more than one surgery. Jasmine donated quite a bit of tissue for her. Um, in order for her to actually be able to get not only get back on the track field, but she was writing to me to let me know that she received a scholarship for college. Oh, wow. So, so it was literally life changing for her getting tissue. Oh, life change. She said her parents couldn't thank me enough mm. that, you know, what our loved one had done for her could never be repaid. And her parents couldn't thank me enough, but all I kept thinking was that's a little girl that gets to go on and fulfill her dreams, which Jasmine never got to complete college. Mm-hmm. And she was high on education and high on career and, and so on. So um, that, that really hit home. And honestly, that letter came at a perfect time because I, I was really, really struggling. So, um, so I do have that letter. I have a second letter. And Jasmine's helped over 30 people with tissue donation. Mm, Wow, that's huge. So Melanie, what about you? Have you had a chance to meet any recipients or has that been a desire for you to want to do that? Where are you with that? Um, In Canada, we can do the same thing. We can offer a letter to keep on file and receive a letter in return at some point. It's not something I've chosen to do. And and I'm not sure why. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I, am. Part of me, I think, is a little worried. I don't know how I would how I would fare if I found out that surgery wasn't successful. Oh, and so mm-hmm. I'm I'm happier believing that it yes. was successful, and um, I will just live believing that it was. I love that. 
I love that because it, it gives other parents who are listening permission to do that. It's okay if you don't want to connect. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's different for all of us. This entire journey is different for every single one of us. And so what's right for you is right for you. So that's great. The one friend that I have back in Wisconsin, she, it took her two years. She had received that letter from the recipient and it took her a couple of years to be able to respond to it. And she was actually in counseling and her counselor kind of walked her through that. And they got to a point where it's like, it, she felt like it was something she needed to do. And so she did. And these two people, the recipient was close enough, living close enough that they actually met. And they now have a relationship. The two families have a relationship with each other now and they visit each other and spend time with each other. And so, I mean, it can be from that direction to, you know, not wanting to know and anything in between like Rita, just getting letters and, and hearing the story. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up. I know we could just probably go on and on about this because it is such a huge topic, but I do want to ask both of you, do you have a final word of encouragement or something that you want to share with the listeners, Melanie? I just want everyone to know that your journey is your journey and know, and you know, whatever makes you feel good, whatever you need to do on your path of grief is is right for you and don't let anyone tell you different mm -hmm. yeah and I think also it's easy if we didn't have our child's organs donated we could feel guilty because it's like you're giving away a part of your child and if if in that moment you said no that's okay too that's for okay sure. and you don't have to feel guilty about that Rita do you have any final thoughts that you would like to share with the listeners Yes, I, I do believe Laura and Melanie, you both, what you said is probably exactly what I was thinking. Um, um, I, I, I hope and I pray that your listeners will, um, first of all, consider registering to be a donor um, because I will say personally that had Jasmine not registered and wasn't, um, didn't um, donate tissue, it would, this journey would have been even more difficult. Like Melanie mentioned, they, um, they, the organization does um, acknowledgements as far as um, dinners and, and ceremonies for um, donors. There's all these things that have helped support me through my grief and, and with this journey that did, if I didn't have that, it's scary to think where I would be today. So it has given me hope and encouragement and helped me move my journey, move along my journey. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that there are parents and people out there that will consider registering. Um, but if anybody wants to read Jasmine's story, they can go to donatelifecalifornia.org slash Jasmine. Okay, so Rita, if people want to contact you directly, how would they be able to do that? Oh, yes. Um, if, the, if any parents want to contact me, they have any questions about organ donation, they can send me an email, rjackson, the number four, donate life 2017 at gmail.com. All right. And Melanie, how can people get your book? Tell us the name of that again and, and how people can contact you and if there's anything else you have going on. I know for a while you were doing like some sort of a basket or a care package or something, weren't you? Yes. 
Um, my book's called After the Flowers Die, a handbook of heartache, hope, and healing after losing a child. And you can find information about it on my website, melaniedelorme.com. And there's also information on that on that website about my Monday morning message that I have on Facebook for bereaved parents. And also with my grief baskets that there's information about there. It's still in its early stages though. So I have all right, perfect. And we will have links to those in the show notes. So if you're driving or you didn't quite get it, just go to the show notes and we'll have links there for both Rita and Melanie. I want to thank you both so much for joining me today. This is a difficult topic, and but it's something that we need to talk about. And it's good to hear from other parents who have been in that place because it's a whole other different level and layer, I think, of grief that comes with it with the whole organ donation piece of things. So thank you so much to both of you. Thank you for having me here. Thank you, Laura. I don't think there is anything that I can add to this conversation with Melanie and Rita. If you have any thoughts, I would love to hear from you in the comment section below this podcast episode. If you're listening on an app and you want to share something on this topic with me, just go to gpshope.org slash podcast slash 95. I'm going to share something special with you before going on to the birthday segment. The making of a pearl is a miraculous event. Pearls form when an irritant works its way into an oyster, and as a defense mechanism, the oyster's body takes defensive action. The oyster begins to secrete a smooth, hard, crystalline substance around the irritant in order to protect itself. Layer upon layer of this coating, which is called a knacker, is deposited, and this process requires quite a bit of time, a good three to six years, for a thick layer of knacker to be deposited, resulting in a beautiful gem quality pearl. Pearls have been highly valued as gemstones and objects of beauty for many centuries. They have a shimmering iridescence, a luster, like this soft inner glow, unlike any other gem on the earth. Because of this, a pearl has become a metaphor for something rare, fine, admirable, and valuable. And I want to say that you are a pearl. You've had something way beyond an irritant invade your life. You've had to face the death of your precious child. And now you have the opportunity to allow God to do a far greater miracle in you than he does in an oyster, which is to allow him the time and the tools needed to make something beautiful out of something so horrific. And yes, it can happen. Not only can it happen, but it will happen if you allow the one who sees what you can't see and knows what you don't know to be at work in your life, deeply hidden in your heart and soul where no one else has access. He wants to use this tragedy in your life to make you highly valued, a rare and valuable gem, glowing with his love and glory, unlike anyone else on earth. Did you know that you can get an oyster from GPS Hope with a guaranteed pearl inside as a tangible symbol of what I just shared? Right now, we are running a special, and there are just a few more days to get in on it. When you purchase an oyster from us, you can get $10 off any of our cage pendant necklaces to put your pearl in and wear. 
This Sunday, February 14th, we're going to go live on Facebook at 7.30 in the evening central, central time, okay? So if you're in a different time zone, you'll have to figure that out. And if you purchase the oyster, we'll go live on Facebook. You can choose which one you want opened and watch me open it, revealing your beautiful pearl. I never know what color it's going to be, and it's so exciting to discover what it is. The colors are just beautiful. We can have hot pink, light pink, creams, blue, teal, green, yellow, like a deep mauve. I mean, it's just crazy the colors that come out here. We will ship the pearl out to you. We'll put it inside your necklace and we'll get it to you right away so that you can start to enjoy and display this beautiful symbol of your intense love for your child and the hope of who you can become as a result of that love. For more information and to place your order, go to gpshope.org slash pearls of hope. And be sure to use the coupon code love, L-O-V-E, when you check out to get that $10 discount. Okay, let's go ahead and get into the birthdays for this week. Brenton Smith was born on February 10th and is forever 24. Jeffrey Allison was born on February 14th and is forever 30. We celebrate with these families the day that these two came into the world. We know that's important to remember our child's birthday. If you want to have your child's birthday shared with the other listeners of this podcast, all you have to do is go to gpshope.org slash birthdays and submit the information and I would be honored to announce your son or daughter's birthday that week. Now, just so you know, I pre-recorded all the February podcasts back in January so that I could take the month of February off. So any February birthdays that come in, I'll catch up on them and I will announce them sometime in March. It'll be a little bit late, but I will announce their birthday. We find ourselves having so many thoughts and conversations that were never even remotely on our radar a few years ago, don't we? It's good to have others who understand and can connect with us on so many different levels after the death of our child. And I'm glad you connected to us here on the Grieving Parents Sharing Hope podcast. If you've never checked out GPS Hope, I want to encourage you to check out our website to find out more about us and the other resources we have for you, gpshope.org. And I hope you join me for the next episode. We're going to be starting a series on grief and music that I think you will get a lot from to help you on this unwanted journey. Until then, hold on. Pain eases. There is hope.